You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 63 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as normal, I'd like to start off with a shout out to all of our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners in London, Birmingham, Southampton, Cardiff, Ipswich, Nottingham, Liverpool, Widnes, Portsmouth, Manchester, Newport, Bristol, Chelmsford, Cosham, Havant, Stockport, Coventry, Newcastle upon Tyne, Winchester and Basingstoke, all in the UK. Then in Ireland, we have new listeners this week in Dublin, Leinster, County Cork, County Wicklow and County Meath. In France, we have new listeners in Paris and in Lyon. In Spain, we have new listeners in Barcelona. In Portugal, we have new listeners in Setabel and Porto. In Belgium, we have new listeners in Brussels and Ghent. In the Netherlands, we have new listeners in Amsterdam. In Germany, we have new listeners in Dusseldorf, Munich, Hamburg and Koblenz. In Denmark, we have new listeners in Copenhagen and Zealand. In Norway, we have new listeners in Bergen and Oslo. In Sweden, we have new listeners in Gothenburg and Stockholm. In Finland, we have new listeners in Helsinki. In Poland, we have new listeners in Warsaw. In Switzerland, new listeners in Zurich and Geneva. In Austria, new listeners in Vienna. In Hungary, new listeners in Budapest. In Serbia, new listeners in Belgrade. In Romania, new listeners in Bucharest. In Slovenia, new listeners in Ljubljana. In Italy, new listeners in Milan and Venice. In Israel, new listeners in Tel Aviv. In India, new listeners in Tamil Nadu. In Thailand, new listeners in Bangkok. We also have new listeners in Hong Kong. And in Japan, we have new listeners in Tokyo and Kanagawa. In Australia, we have new listeners in Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth. In Brazil, we have new listeners in Sao Paulo and Brasilia. We have new listeners in Kingston, Jamaica. We have new listeners in Quebec, in Canada. And then in the USA this week, we have new listeners in San Francisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, New York, San Diego, Boston, Atlanta, Kalamazoo, Cleveland, Rochester, Los Angeles, Denver, Washington DC, Phoenix, Seattle, Jacksonville and Minneapolis. We know we have a good number of listeners in California and so we'd just like to say to all our listeners in California that we hope that you're not too badly affected by the wildfires and subsequent potential power cuts in California and that you all get through safely without any damage to yourselves or your property. I always like to receive feedback from you on the GDPR Weekly Show so whether there's things you like, things you don't like, things you think could be improved Always grateful to receive that feedback. Just send an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. Or go to our website at www.insurety.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And you can find all the details there about the podcast and all of our previous episodes of the show should you wish to catch up on things that you may have missed. I'm always extremely grateful to all my listeners, both new listeners and existing listeners for all giving up 30 minutes or so of your week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. Uh, I really do hope you find the programme useful and informative. And in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. 
So, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news of a data breach at the Home Group Housing Association. We have news that Whistle have launched a GDPR-compliant, partially-addressed mail solution for MailShot. We have news of a German court ruling over non-material damages and when they can be claimed under GDPR. And also from Germany, we have news on their guidelines for the calculations of GDPR fines, which at the moment are only going to apply in Germany, but of course may well spread throughout the rest of the EU and back to us in the UK in due course. We then have news that MasterCard has launched a global data responsibility initiative. We then have news of security breaches at Avast Antivirus and NordVPN. And finally this week, we have news of a Met police officer who now faces costs after declining an out-of-court settlement for breaches of data protection and the Human Rights Act against her. So, as always, a mixed bag of articles for you this week. I hope you find them interesting. I hope you find them useful and informative. And as always, if you have any ideas for future articles you'd like to see, please don't hesitate to let us know. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. One of the largest housing associations in the UK, Home Group, has warned around 4,000 customers that their personal details may have been stolen after the company suffered a data breach. The story was originally broken by the BBC, who reported that Home Group had suffered a data breach which involved customer names, addresses and contact information, but no financial data. When we contacted Home Group, they said that the breach was identified by a third-party cybersecurity expert and that the affected customers were in properties in England, including those in the North East, North West and Yorkshire. They went on to say that the issue had been resolved within 90 minutes. Chief Financial Officer for Home Group, John Hudson, said, We were made aware of a potential data vulnerability and immediately responded to and resolved the issue. We have a robust incident response protocol in place to deal with situations such as this, which meant the vulnerability was identified and fixed extremely quickly. Mr Hudson went on to say, We have contacted all customers affected and I want to reassure all of our customers that their information is secure and that we follow strict guidelines and protocols when it comes to data sharing and cybersecurity. What we don't know at the moment is whether Homes Group have reported this data breach to the ICO. I would like to think they have, but I've not yet been able to confirm that with the ICO myself. And so we'll bring you an update to that in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Whistle Doorstop Media has launched its GDPR-compliant partially addressed mail, or PAM, solution for advertisers. As part of their audience targeting and leaflet services offering, following a successful trial. The industry-wide PAM solution was developed to enable advertisers to to continue to prospect consumers directly without compromising the GDPR legislation that came into effect in 2018. Instead of using personal details that may not have received recipient approval, 
advertisers can use titles such as Householder or Fashionista in the addressee space. Partially addressed mail is an ideal way to send out leaflets or catalogues and while not all online businesses produce printed literature, they can still be highly effective and with increasing rarity, a tool in many retailers' arsenal. Mark Davies, Managing Director of Whistle, said, By targeting households using geo-demographics at postcode level, circa 15 households, advertisers can create campaigns that have lower postage costs, significantly reduced data costs, and a 30% greater reach than the traditional fully addressed advertising item. He went on to say, As Whistle DDM is the market leader in audience targeting through the letterbox, we can work with brands and charities to create highly targeted mailings that result in excellent conversion rate. Mr Davis went on to say, Thanks to JIC Mail, the audience management project for the mail industry developed by Whistle and Royal Mail, we know that PAM Mail, PAM Mail, stays in the home for seven days, of which 88% are read. Combined with traditional door drop or direct mail, PAM can be an effective tool in a fully integrated letterbox-based advertising campaign. Our charity client, Blind Restaurants, used PAM and recruited the same amount of donors it would expect to recruit during a traditional direct mail campaign, but at a lower cost per acquisition. I think most of us involved in the world of GDPR thought it would only be a matter of time before bulk mail delivers latched on to ways of getting around the edges of GDPR like this and it's interesting to see that Whistle are one of the first to bring this to market and doubtless others like Royal Mail and so on will follow. It's a development at which we will keep an eye on and if we see any significant moves we will bring you an update in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. Two developments from Germany this week which are likely to have an effect across the whole GDPR community in the EU and in the UK. The first is a ruling from the courts in Germany that no claim for damages under GDPR in cases of individually perceived inconveniences or non-material trivial damage will be judged as having foundation. Now, to give a little bit of background, Article 82 of GDPR grants any person who suffered material or non-material damage as a result of an infringement of GDPR the right to receive compensation for the damage suffered. Indications as to the exact arrangement of the claim for damages are not included in GDPR. However, Recital 146 of GDPR says, The concept of damage should be broadly interpreted in the light of the case law if the Court of Justice in a manner which fully reflects the objectives of this regulation. Data subjects should receive full and effective compensation for the damage they have suffered. And the real question here regards the possible amount and whether there is a materiality threshold, as is known from non-material compensation for damages law. So perhaps it's not therefore surprising that courts have already dealt with the issue of grounds for damages and the amount of damages. So on November the 7th, 2018, Diaz Local Court ruled that a mere infringement of GDPR does not automatically entail a claim for damages by the person who suffered a non-material damage. Rather, 
the person must have suffered a noticeable disadvantage and it had to be objectively comprehensible impairment of personality-related interests with a certain weight. Now apparently the first German Higher Court decision has been issued in a reference order of Dresden Higher Regional Court dated June 11, 2019, in which Dresden Higher Regional Court largely agreed with the ruling of the Diaz Local Court. In this particular case, the plaintiff had filed a claim for damages against Facebook for material and non-material damage in accordance with Article 82 GDPR for the deletion of a post and a temporary blocking of his Facebook account. Dresden Higher Regional Court rejected this claim for damages. The court did not consider that the deletion of the post and a temporary blocking of the plaintiff's user account was an infringement of the mandatory provisions of GDPR. In addition, the court also did not find material or non-material damage for the plaintiff within the meaning of Article 82 of GDPR. Just like data loss, the mere blocking of his data represents not yet a damage within the meaning of GDPR, the court said. The alleged obstruction in personality development by the three-day blocking has at most trivial character. The court went on to say that in the court's opinion, however, immaterial trivial damage would not lead to a claim for compensation. The reference to full and effective compensation for the damage contained in Recital 146 of GDPR does not give rise to such compensation either. In particular, the substantial abuse risk of virtually unconditional claim in terms of legal consequences for damages for pain or suffering in the area of data protection would be an argument for this. And so this has perhaps laid down a useful line in the sand in terms of what will be considered a viable claim for damages under Article 82 of GDPR. And it'll be interesting to watch to see if we get similar talk readings here in the UK, uh, especially given now that we are aware of a number of, for want of a better term, ambulance chaser lawyer firms who are offering to pursue damages claims on behalf of individuals who've suffered a breach or other consequential damage. Now, we're not including in this the large class actions against things like the British Airways data breach, for example, but it will perhaps put a cap on the smaller claims for damages from individuals. So, one case, of course, doesn't set the entire law, but it does give a benchmark against which other cases can be judged and a precedent against which other cases can be judged. And so, We'll keep a careful eye on this, and if there are other cases that are relevant, we will bring details of them to you in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Regular listeners might remember that a few weeks ago we mentioned about Germany and the German Data Protection Authorities. Uh, introducing some guidelines for the calculation of administrative fines under Article 83 of GDPR. The guidelines, it should be said, are intended to guide enforcement action by German DPAs against business undertakings. 
They do not apply to individuals or associations who are not acting in a business capacity. Importantly, the methodology set out in the guidelines for calculating fines is not intended to be exhaustive and will be subject to further specification in due course by the European Data Protection Board, the EDPB. Further, the guidelines are not expected to be binding in cases of cross-border processing or for any non-German data protection authority. So, what Germany set out to do was to have five steps to a comprehensive, transparent and just administrative fine. And the five steps which they set out to do was to categorise the undertaking based on their annual turnover, to determine the average annual turnover, and this will be determined by referencing the category the undertaking has been assigned, calculating the base economic value, and then multiplying that base value by a factor reflecting the seriousness of the infringement, and then applying a modifying factor, if required, to address any wider circumstances associated with the infringement that hadn't been taken into account prior in the process. So, let's have a quick look at each of these steps. Step 1, categorisation of the undertakings depending on turnover, is proposed to break companies down into four bands. The first being micro-enterprises, which is any organisation up to 2 million euros in annual turnover. Small enterprises, which is put as being from 2 million euros to 10 million euros annual turnover. Medium-sized enterprises from 10 million to 50 million annual turnover. And then large-scale enterprises, which is any enterprise with more than 50 million euro annual turnover. When determining what the undertaking's turnover is, the German DPA will look to the turnover of the functional undertaking as understood under Articles 101 and 102 in the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union. This functional undertaking, also known as the Economic Unit in Case Law, the Court of Justice of the European Court, the CJEU, may be defined by reference to the entire group. So, in the case of an affiliate within a wider group of companies, as importantly, the concept is not restricted to the controller or processor which actually committed the GDPR infringement, or the enterprise in terms of Article 4, Paragraph 18 of GDPR. So, in other words, what they're saying is, is that they, the penalty that can be imposed might not necessarily just be based on one data controller, if you have joint data controllers, or just on the data processor if you have a data control with data processor arrangement, but on the whole chain of organisations that have potentially been impacted by a data breach. So having done all that, the next step, step two, is to determine your average annual turnover. And it's important to say this second step is only relevant for undertakings with a turnover of less than 500 million euros and leads to the DPA applying a deemed average turnover to the undertaking. This is calculated by reference to the relevant size category. For undertakings with more than 500 million euro annual turnover, the actual turnover will be the basis of further calculation. So then calculating the base value is done by taking the average annual turnover determined above and then dividing that by 360 to identify the average daily turnover. 
So if we take an example, a company with up to 700,000 euros annual turnover, the daily rate would be 972 euros. And for an undertaking in the range of annual turnover between 75 million and 100 million euros, the daily rate would be 243,056 euros. If an undertaking has, for example, 1.5 billion annual turnover, the base value would be about 4.17 million euros. And then, depending on the severity of the infringement, the daily rate will be multiplied by a factor between 1 and 7.2 for administrative infringements under Article 83, Paragraph 4 of GDPR, or between 1 and 14.4 for administrative infringements under Article 83, 5 and 6 of GDPR. The guidelines do not include definitions as to what constitutes a minor, medium, severe or very severe violation, nor how to allocate infringement within the respective fining corridor, i.e. where there's more than one company involved in handling the data. Unofficially published information indicates that the objective criteria in Article 83, Paragraph 2 will be applied here, i.e. the nature and gravity of the infringement based on factors covering the duration of the infringement, the natural scope or purpose of the processing concerned, the number of data subjects affected, and the level of damage suffered by the data subjects. And then as a last step, the DPA will apply a further percentage factor, taking into consideration any wider circumstances relevant to the infringement but not previously taken into account. Now it should be said that these percentages do not form part of the published guidelines but originate from unofficially published information. But we are mentioning these figures to give you a rough idea of how the calculator may look like. So having taken that figure which was calculated before, that can then be adjusted according to how much of the fault was down to this part of the chain and that might result in the penalty being reduced by up to 25% or increased by up to 50%. The mitigation measures taken by the controller or processor which again could lead to a 25% reduction in the penalty or a 25% increase in the penalty. The degree of responsibility again ranging from a reduction of 25% to an increase of 50%. Whether there are any relevant previous infringements, and this is quite a big penalty because this would give the ICO imposing the penalty the ability to increase the penalty from anywhere from 0 to 300%. And then another factor will be how well the organisation or organisations cooperated with the ICO or the Data Protection Authority and that could see a 25% reduction in the penalty or a 25% increase in the penalty. The categories of personal data affected could see up to another 25% increase in the penalty and the manner in which the infringement became known to the ICO or the DPA again could have an effect of either reducing the penalty by 25% or increasing it by 10%. And then, interestingly, whether the organisations or that may be either the data processor or the data controller who suffered the data breach, how well they've complied with the measures ordered by the, by the ICO. 
and that might lead either to no increase in the penalty or up to a 50% increase in the penalty. And adherence to approved codes of conduct or approved certification mechanisms, again, that could result in a reduction of 25% to an increase of 10%. And so, whilst we've never got these guidelines, it actually becomes a very complicated method of working out quite how much penalty any individual case is going to receive, but at least it does give some guidelines rather than just being based very much on the opinion of the person imposing the fine. Now, because of the size of these potential penalties in Germany, and of course, you know, once one country within the EU has this sort of structure, it's likely that other countries will follow suit or at least follow their example. It's likely that we're going to see further appeals by organisations against this structure before it actually comes into force. So we're going to keep a very close eye on this situation in Germany over the next few weeks. And please do keep listening to the GDPR Weekly Show and we will bring you any updates as soon as we have them. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Financial services provider MasterCard has launched what it's calling the Global Data Responsibility Imperative. Uh, In a statement, MasterCard says that data has the potential to fuel the next century of innovation, but only if our data practices are held to the high standards we all deserve. We're committed to managing personal data safely and securely and in ways that are ethical, compliant and of benefit to individuals. And the key principles behind MasterCard Global Data Responsibility Imperative are very much the principles behind GDPR. They're focusing on the following principles. Security and privacy. They're saying that companies must uphold best-in-class security and privacy practices. Transparency and control. Companies should clearly and simply explain how they collect, use and share an individual's data and give individuals the ability to control its use. Accountability. Companies must keep consumer interests at the centre of their data practice. Integrity. Companies must be deliberate in how they use data in order to minimise bias and unintended consequences. Innovation. Companies should be constantly innovating to ensure individuals benefit from the use of their data through better experiences, products and services. And social impact. Companies should use the information to identify needs and opportunities to make a positive impact on society. And so, whilst obviously from MasterCard's perspective there's going to be a commercial motive behind this, I think it's welcome that such a big provider of financial services worldwide has taken data security now firmly on board and is coming up with these policies which they're looking to get all MasterCard merchants in due course to adhere to. And I think that has to be good for everybody wherever we are in the world. And so I think this is to be welcomed. You can find out more details on the MasterCard website. And let me know what you think. Uh, I'd really be interested to know what you think on this one. So please do drop me an email to podcast at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk. And uh, be really interested to see your feedback on this 
and we may look to try and get an interview with somebody at MasterCard in a few weeks' time and see if we can talk to them about what they think the impact of this initiative is going to be. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Antivirus and security giant Avast and virtual private networking VPN software provider NordVPN each today disclosed months-long network intrusions that, while otherwise unrelated, shared a common cause. And that cause was forgotten or unknown user accounts that granted remote access to internal systems with little more than a password. Now, to give a bit of background for those who aren't familiar with Avast, based in the Czech Republic, Avast builds itself as the most popular antivirus vendor on the market, with over 435 million users worldwide. Avast said it detected and addressed a breach lasting between May and October 2019 that appeared to target users of its CCleaner application, a popular Microsoft Windows cleanup and repair utility. Avast said it took CCleaner downloads offline in September to check the integrity of the code and ensure that the code hadn't been injected with malware. The company also said it invalidated the certificates used to sign previous versions of the software and pushed out a re-signed clean update of the product via automatic update on October 15th. It then disabled and reset all internal user credentials. Having taken all of these precautions, we are confident to say that our CCleaner users are protected and unaffected, a vast Jaya Baloo wrote. This is not the first time so-called supply chain attack on Avast has happened. In September 2018, researchers at Cisco and Morphisec disclosed that hackers had compromised the computer cleanup tool for more than a month, leading to some two and a quarter million downloads of the corrupt CCleaner version. Avast, for their part, said the intrusion began when the attackers used stolen credentials for a VPN service that was configured to connect to Avast's internal network and that the attackers were not challenged with any sort of multi-factor authentication, such as a one-time code generated by a mobile app. We found that the internal network was successfully accessed with compromised credentials through a temporary VPN profile that had erroneously been kept enabled and did not require 2FA, Baloo said. Separately, NordVPN, a virtual private network service that promises to protect your privacy online, confirmed press reports that it had been hacked. NordVPN had an expired internal private key exposed, potentially allowing anyone to spin out their own servers imitating NordVPN. Now, for those not familiar, VPN software creates an encrypted tunnel between your computer and the VPN provider, effectively blocking your ISP and anyone else on the network, aside from you and the VPN provider, from being able to sell which sites you have visiting or viewing the contents of your communications. This can offer a degree of anonymity, but the user is also placing a great deal of trust in that VPN service itself not to get hacked and expose the sensitive browsing data. Nord, for their part, seem to be downplaying this intrusion at the moment, saying that while the attackers could have used the private keys to intercept and view traffic from some of its customers' traffic, the attackers would have been limited to eavesdropping on communications routing through just one of the company's servers, and the company has more than 3,000 servers. The server itself did not contain any user activity logs. None of our applications send user-created credentials for authentication, so usernames and passwords have not been intercepted either, said NordVPN in a statement. 
On the same note, the only possible way to abuse the website traffic was by performing a personalised and complicated man-in-the-middle attack to intercept a single connection that tried to access NordVPN. NordVPN said that the intrusion had happened way back in March 2018 at one of its data centres in Finland, noting that the attacker gained access to the server by exploiting an insecure remote management system left by the data centre provider while they were unaware that such a system existed. NordVPN declined to name the data centre provider, but said the provider removed the remote management account without notifying NordVPN on March 20, 2018. When we learned about the vulnerability from the data centre a few months back, we immediately terminated the contract with the server provider and shredded all the servers we'd been renting from them, NordVPN said. We did not disclose the exploit immediately because we had to make sure that none of our infrastructure could be prone to similar issues. This couldn't be done quickly simply due to the large amount of servers and the complexity of our user infrastructure. So two reasonably major providers there affected by data breaches uh, over the last period of time. So not immediate data breaches, they've only just been revealed. But worse, bearing in mind, I guess, that it, perhaps if anything, it demonstrates that however good you are, however good your VPN is, however good your antivirus software is, it doesn't prevent data breaches from happening. If we hear any more from Avast or from NordVPN, we will, of course, bring it, as always, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. An ex-Metropolitan Police detective lost their talk battle over payout for a data breach this week. Andrea Brown found herself liable for Metropolitan Police costs after rejecting an out-of-court settlement of £18,000 and then in court being awarded only £9,000. To give a little bit of background, Andrea Brown's problems began back in 2011. Her father died while she was on sick leave, and she travelled to Barbados to visit relatives with her mother and a 14-year-old daughter. She informed her police federation rep that she was making the journey, but not her immediate line manager at Sutton Police Station. This in itself was a minor disciplinary offence. However, instead of treating her as such, her boss approached the National Border Targeting Centre, which Greater Manchester Police helped to run, to get personal information about Brown. Now, the National Border Targeting Centre collects private information on people's whereabouts. An application to trace her movements with Virgin Atlantic was made citing a made-up Act of Parliament, Central London County Court was told. When Brown discovered that her bosses had done... She successfully sued the Met and Greater Manchester Police. She succeeded on claims of breach of data protection and human rights and the misuse of private information, but lost her claim for misfeasance in public office and also on a personal injury claim. The two police forces involved, the Metron Police and Greater Manchester Police, had offered to settle the case out of court for a total of £18,000, but Brown rejected the offer, saying she was going to fight the case on the point of principle. She said she wanted to ensure that other officers did not go through what she had had to go through and wanted officers found by the court to have acted unlawfully to be disciplined. Having heard all the evidence, the court ruled that she should be awarded £9,000 in damages. Because this award was lower than the offer made by the police, she became liable to pay police costs from the point in time that the original offer had been made. 
The cost rules were found not to protect her from that liability because her case included non-personal injury claims. Brown says that she's had to sell two successive homes just to fund her own legal fees to continue fighting the case. This month, the case reached the Court of Appeal. The judges there were asked to rule on whether people with cases like Brown's should have to pay the other side's costs if they won certain damages cases, but rejected offers to settle out of court and were then awarded lower damages. The appeal court ruled against that and she's now liable to pay the legal costs for the Metron Police and Greater Manchester Police. The bill has not yet been finalised, but it's estimated it could run into tens of thousands of pounds. Brown said, I had to downsize and move out of London to Suffolk just because of the cost of this case. Now the Court of Appeal has ruled against me, I might have to sell my current home and end up homeless. My mum told me she's got some money saved up for a funeral that she would give me to help me pay the costs, but I couldn't take that money from her. Brown has launched a crowdfunding campaign which she hopes will help. She said she was devastated by the Appeal Court ruling. My fight has been a fight for everyone who feels they have a case against a big organisation, she said. She went on to say, I bought this case because the police should be held to the high standards they expect from others. Nobody should be above the law. I don't like injustice. I never have. That's why I joined the police in the first place. In their ruling, the three appeal court judges said, the proceedings following the appellant's rejection of the offer were a waste of time and money for all parties, having been necessitated only by the applicant's refusal to accept much more than she eventually recovered. A spokesperson for the Metropolitan Police Service said MPS has successfully defended a civil claim for malfeasance in the public office brought by former officer Andrea Brown at the High Court. MPS admitted liability for claims concerning breaches of the Data Protection Act and the Human Rights Act. A judgment in favour of the claimant was formally entered in respect of the accepted parts of the claim. The court also found in the applicant's favour for a claim of misuse of private information. A final judgment and ruling on damages is awaited from the court and expected in the near future. If we do have any updates on this case in the future, we will of course bring them to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.